0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Shall we pray? Our Father, we give thanks to You for Your holy written Word. We thank You, our Heavenly Father, for the Spirit's ministry activated among us and within us, causing us to have understanding of even that which is deep, causing revelation knowledge to flow mightily within us. Thank You, dear Father, for receptive hearts, attentive ears, and open minds. As we now set ourselves to receive from your precious holy Word, I thank you for utterance and the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word and demonstration of the spirit and of power, that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God in Jesus precious name. Amen. Very quickly, I'd like to do a review of what we've been talking about for quite a long time. And as you see here in this particular scripture, We have direction from the Lord as to how to have revival among us. And the scripture says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Well, healing of the Christian land is is restoration. And we've been talking about restoring the temple of God. Of course, we are the temple of God. And so very quickly, briefly, for those of you maybe who have not been with us for all these particular meetings we're going to get you caught up. We've been talking about the fact that we've been called to a deeper walk in experienced reality with the Father. So that we can experience deeper intimacy of fellowship, consciousness of righteousness, reality of holiness, and a deeper manifestation of his glory and power. We said that in order for this to take place in the body of Christ as a whole and in particular in our local assembly, there must be genuine humility. There must be a deeper commitment to prayer and a deeper commitment to walking in agape love. As we can see right here, my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. And humility, of course, comes even before prayer. You recall the incident or the story that Jesus gave us, shared with us the incident that took place at the temple when two went to the temple to pray and one was humble and the other one wasn't. He was self-righteous. And although they both prayed, they didn't both receive. The one who was humble received, but the one who was self-righteous did not receive. So, you know, it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to pray being humble. And so, you see, we need genuine humility before even prayer. And as you see, these four things here, I call these four things that will lead us to a place of revival. Genuine humility, prayer, seeking His presence and changing or altering the course of our actions. Of course, our actions being that turning from our own wicked ways, or turning from doing things our way. We can call these ingredients for revival. These three things that will happen if you do that. Number one, then will I hear from heaven. You can't have revival without God hearing your cry. Did you know that? He says, I will hear from heaven. Then He says, I'll forgive your sin. And when God forgives sin, He removes that, takes out of the way that which will prevent His power from flowing into us or through us. And what does He remove out of the way? Sin. Any blockage. Because you see, for God to move, He must have a highway of holiness. He must have a highway of holiness in order for Him to move in us and through us. So, thirdly, He said, then I'll heal your land. I'll bring restoration to you. I'll restore you to the place that you need to be so that I can have revival in your life and through your life. Well, we went on to say that this has a twofold effect collectively and also individually. Collectively, we want to have restoration brought to us so that we can be restored from a house of programs and social activities and entertainment and religious form into what? A house of purity and prayer and power and perfected praise. We said individually, speaking, you know of us as individuals. We want to be changed in our attitudes, motives, and desires so that our attitudes and motives and desires line up with His for our lives. So that means we can be changed in spirit, soul, and in body. See, He'll remove that blockage, whatever blocks His power from flowing as a highway of holiness into our lives and He'll bring restoration to us if we'll just submit to His motives and attitudes and desires. And, of course, we said He'll bring healing to the Christian land. And the Christian land, of course, is not only the individual person, but their marital relationship, the marriage, you see, relationship, also the family relationship. And, of course, it goes from there, you know, and flows into every relationship represented in, in, in your life. Now, if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in effort to clean up or to cleanse the temple of God, we talked about certain things. First of of all, we talked about unforgiveness and heart bitterness or bitterness of the heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you notice here that the Apostle Paul, verse 14, starts talking about, "...be not equally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, and what part hath he believeth with an infidel?" What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of God. See, we are the temple of God. We constitute individually and collectively the temple of God. And God wants to restore us individually and collectively to that place. Actually, the place that Jesus represented when he walked upon the earth. He was the temple of God. He goes on to say, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be a separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and be a father to you. Be, shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these, precious, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, in effort to do this, to bring cleansing to us, we talked about cleansing ourselves from any unforgiveness or, or bitterness, that would rise up within our hearts. And it's so important that we daily make a decision or an act of our will to walk in forgiveness. Don't allow unforgiveness to be lodged within our hearts. Don't allow the root of bitterness to spring up within us and do what? Defile us or contaminate us as individuals and contaminate the body of Christ. See, if it contaminates you as an individual, then very soon it's going to affect, just like a root of bitterness, it's going to affect the entire body of Christ. One person gets mad at another person, then holds ought. and then of course you begin to to spread uh, this and spread that, and and before you know it, this group's uh, you know at ought, has ought against that group, and that group against this group, and before you know it, dear Lord, you've got a contaminated body of Christ, and God doesn't want that. We've got a purpose in our hearts to walk, you know, free from unforgiveness. And then we went on to say that inability to control the sex drive is also. A cause for the body of Christ to be contaminated, polluted, corrupted. And in particular, that's what he's talking about right here. see, he's talking about don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Be separate or come out from among, entering into relationships, close relationships with non-believers. And so we talked about inability to control the sex drive, you know, improperly using the sex drive. We said that it leads to what? Anyone remember that? Sexual Immorality which leads to destruction of the body or body destruction. It leads also to emotional corruption. The mind is being corrupted. People that make their body their God eventually have their minds corrupted. And then thirdly, it leads to spirit alienation or the spirit being alienated from the life of God. And that means eternal damnation. And of course, we all want to avoid that. We don't want that. And then we also said that the inability to control the sex drive also leads to ungodly marriages. It leads to ungodly marriages. And remember, the only way we're going to clean up the body of Christ when it comes to ungodly marriages is by getting our youth and dealing with them and talking to them and allowing them or letting them know the dangers of entering into an ungodly marital relationship. You just don't do it. Prevention is the best medicine in this particular case. And we pointed out that ungodly marriages caused one of the world's greatest catastrophes, Noah's Flood, which was a direct result of an ungodly, ungodly marital relationships. We said that it also keeps a person from fully or wholly following the Lord God. We went on to say that also ungodly marital relationships can be a snare or a trap, causing much heartache, sorrow, pain, and really just brings corruption to the body of Christ. Defilement to the body of Christ. And finally, we said that it also causes imperfections of the heart. A lot of imperfections are within the heart of many who truly love God because they're involved in an ungodly marital relationship. And of course, once again, we said that preventive medicine is really the best kind of medicine in these cases. Well, we went on to say that when believers marry outside of the family of God, they marry outside of His will. When they marry outside of His will, they step out from His protection and, and care in certain areas. And they expose themselves to many things that they you know, could have avoided in their lives. They will suffer much heartache, pain, and sorrow because of the mistake that they made in their lives. And consequently, God you know, really can't do a whole lot. In some areas. Now, I know that's hard maybe for some to understand, but let me just say this. We said that God is a God of justice and judgment as well as a God of mercy and forgiveness. And when we willfully step out from under His grace and His protective covering and enter into a relationship as an act of our will knowingly, I'm not talking about right now you being a, a, in darkness, a non-believer when you got married. talking about you know right now that you should not marry a non-believer, but yet you go ahead and do it anyhow. You expose yourself to, to much heartache and sorrow and pain that could be avoided if you just would listen to him and obey him and be obedient to him. Because, you see, he is just as much obligated to allow cursing to come upon us for disobedience as he is to allow blessing to come on us for obedience. And the Bible says if we be willing and obedient, then we will eat the good of the land. You can just take that particular statement of fact and and just carry it through your entire Christian experience and find out that the curse causes shall not come. Many are experiencing a lot of heartache and sorrow and trouble because of disobedience. And we've got to realize that and face up to that. Then he say, I place before you blessing and cursing, good and evil, life and death. Choose ye. Choose ye what? Choose ye blessing to serve the Lord your God, to follow His, His ways and His statutes and keep His commandments. And, and then you see, it'll be well with you and you'll be blessed and so shall your seed be blessed upon this earth. So blessing, we saw, is the reward of obedience. But once again, He says, I place before you blessing and cursing. And if we're disobedient, we're clearly taught that cursing will come upon us in the form of, in this case, of much heartache and sorrow and maybe even many other things. So we said to the single person out there who who is contemplating or you know, desiring to be married, don't violate the commandment of God because he said right here, and that's what he's talking about, is, is separating ourselves from non-believers when it comes to intimate relationships. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he's talking about coming out from among them in that manner. You have to be in the world to, to deal with people, but you don't have to marry a non-believer. How many of you realize that? You know that. So don't disobey this, this particular commandment of God. If you disobey it, you're going to open yourself up or expose yourself up to a lot of heartache and sorrow and pain and all that. So some things that we suggested according to Abraham and Isaac and and, and their convictions were number one, to purpose in your heart to obey God in marriage. And very quickly we'll just go through these to number two, seek a mate within the family of God. Number three, put spiritual things above emotional and physical things. And I know sometimes that's not an easy thing to do because your emotions get involved, but yet we've got to set our emotions aside and put spiritual things first and just you know just be that way toward God and, and toward toward the things of the spirit. Just be tenacious in our faith. We said we've got to also pray for complete guidance. Complete guidance. When it comes to the marital relationship, we also got to know that marriage doesn't change a person. A person's not going to be changed because they get married. Don't be passive, but use active faith and expect divine intervention when it comes to finding a mate. And if you follow these particular things, I believe you'll have enough understanding and, you know, and enough active faith so that you don't make a mistake when it comes to this particular part of your life. Now, if you go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we want to change that just a little bit. We've been addressing single pe- single persons who at this point were not married, but now we want to shift over and change over in effort to help also to bring restoration to the body of Christ. How many of you realize and know that if we're going to have restoration in the body of Christ, it's going to take family and it's coming together and to be one and to be whole? Did you know that? The body of Christ is made up of individual members and also individual families. The collective body is made up of many, many families, just as the the collective body of Christ is made up of individual members also. And so you see, it's going to be that much stronger if the family unit is strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And so consequently, we want to know what we can do to, to bring unity into the home, into the family, to have, family, uh, have unity among the, the, the marital relationship and among all family members, so that the body of Christ can be strengthened as a whole. And so we shifted over and said, now we're addressing individuals who were... Not saved when you got married. And this is somewhat of a shift from, you know, from the last few things we've been talking about. Single persons. We're shifting over. We're addressing people who were not saved when you got married. Because if you were not saved, you didn't have the light. You were in darkness. And if you were in darkness, how would you know the plan of God? How would you know the will of God? How would you know the purpose of God? I know when I was in darkness, I didn't know anything about God, to be honest with you. I mean, I knew something about religion, but I knew nothing about God and His plan. And so you entered into that relationship of marriage outside of the plan of God because you were ignorant of the plan of God because you were in darkness. The Bible clearly says that if your spirit is alienated from the life of God, so is your thinking or your mind in darkness. And if our mind's in darkness, of course, we won't understand how to realize God's plan in our lives. So, now here you are out there. You were married when you were a non-believer. And then all of a sudden, either you got saved, you may be sitting out there and your mate is saved and you're not, whichever. But now one of the non-believers has become saved. You're born again, washed in the blood of Jesus. And now you find yourself in the light and you find your mate, whether it be the male or female, in darkness. Now, what am I going to do? Here I am. This happened through ignorance. Well, even though it happened through ignorance, it doesn't change the plan, purpose and the will of God, does it, people? It doesn't change it. Please listen. It doesn't change it. And so you need to know what to do. You really need help. You need instructions from the Word of God so that you do know what to do in your situation. Because if you don't do what the Word of God says to do, then instead of being an asset to God, you become a liability. Instead of being a help to God, you could be a hindrance to God. And we don't want that to happen. You don't want that to happen. And so we've got to approach this According to the Holy Word of God. And look at what you know, God's Word says about the subject. So what I want you to do in particular is look at, with me at verse 12. Begin at verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. And let's begin reading. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children are unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart a brother or sister, is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Now, let's just take some notes here and just recognize some of these things. I know some may sound negative, but they're going to produce positive results. First and foremost, this is one of the toughest battles that that will ever be fought in Christian warfare. Winning your unsaved mate to the Lord. And you find out in particular, winning your unsaved husband to the Lord is one of the most difficult battles you'll ever fight in Christian warfare. Winning the unsaved person to the Lord Jesus. It takes much wisdom. It takes much patience. It takes also guidance, direction from from the Spirit of God. It takes an act of obedience to the general revealed will of God and an openness to the specific will of God for your situation. And let me say this in connection with that, that each and every situation is different. Each situation has its own set of circumstances. Each situation must stand on its own merit. What God might tell you to do knowing your mate's heart may be different than what He tells that person to do knowing his or her mate's heart. Because people are different. So he may tell you to do this when he tells you to do that. And that's why you just can't go to someone and say, give me an ironclad rule. We have general instruction from the Word of God that will produce wisdom that will enable him to work. But for him to work as as he wants to work in that situation, he needs your attention. He needs you to listen to what he's saying to you so that you can cooperate with him and he'll cooperate with you and realize his will in that person's life. So know this. It may sound negative but it's not. You've got to realize this. One of the toughest battles you're ever going to fight is winning your unsaved mate to the Lord. Now, don't take that all negative. It may be tough, but it just means he needs you to cooperate with him. He needs you to listen to his wisdom, to lean upon his wisdom. He needs you to be patient, to walk in love. And of course, love gives birth to both wisdom and patience. So really, he's talking about love. And also, listen for guidance and direction that will come specifically to you concerning your situation. Now, something else here I think we need to see. And I want you to... Well, I'm going to give it to you. I believe I have to say it. Hold your place there and look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. This may sound negative also, but as I said, it'll, it'll produce positive results in you, the believing mate, because you see, you're here, you're concerned about this. God's concerned about your mate just as much, well, probably more than you are. God is more concerned about his salvation or her salvation than you are. God knows that person's heart a whole lot better than you do, even though you've been living together maybe for 10 or 15 years, because he's all knowing. Well, you're part; you just know in part. So you see, he knows all the secrets of that person's life and of that person's heart. He knows how to deal with people more accurately than we do. So you need to buddy up with Him and sign up with Him to find out direction from Him. But you need to also know this. In verse 15 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. And if you'll preach it accurately, then everyone will be saved. Mark sixteen fifteen. Did I give you a wrong wrong book? I'm sorry. Mark sixteen, fifteen. Did I say Matthew? Well, bless my heart. <laughs> Mark's guy I knew what I wanted. I quoted it right. Mark sixteen and fifteen. <clears throat> They're close by anyhow. Mark sixteen, fifteen says, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, he doesn't say after that. I know what the next verse says. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. But he doesn't say after that, if you will preach it effectively and accurately, everyone will be saved. It doesn't say that, does it? Does it say that? It doesn't say that, does it? But it does say that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be what? So, notice this. Jesus is not full of doubt and unbelief. He's stating to us facts. He that believeth will be saved. He that believeth not will be damned. And that's all there is to it. Do you see that? He's not saying that if you preach with more power, if you preach with more understanding, with more wisdom, then everyone will be saved. He says, preach the gospel to every creature... And it's up to the person to believe, or if they don't believe, they'll be damned. That does not change in marriage. Does everybody understand that? That does not change in marriage. What I'm about to say is this, and it may sound shocking to some of you, but it's, it's true nevertheless. You have no guarantee that your mate will be saved. Do you understand that? See, this may sound negative, but it's going to produce a positive result in your life. Just as we have no guarantee that preaching the gospel will save every person, it'll save everyone that believes. Now, we know that. But Jesus did say that if you'll preach it accurately, everyone will believe. He didn't say that. So, you see, first and foremost, that person is an individual before he is your mate or she is your mate. So, as an individual, that person has a right to to receive or to reject the gospel message. Consequently, you can be doing everything right, yet that person never come to Jesus. So, don't get yourself burdened down with condemnation and guilt and looking at yourself like as though that you're the failure and what you're doing is is all wrong. Now, I'm going to give you some steps that will help you to determine that. But, you know... From the very beginning, you have to realize going into this thing that you don't have a guarantee. And I'm going to show that. Go back to First Corinthians chapter 7. This scripture always puzzled me because I understood faith. And I knew that if is the badge of doubt. And if there's ever an if in what you're doing, it means you don't really know. And if you don't know, that's doubt, isn't it? And if you doubt something, you can't have absolute faith in that specific thing or particular thing. Now, notice again, chapter 7, verse 16. For what knowest thou, O wife? Whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Notice talking about the issue of salvation here. And the reason why he's saying that you don't know is because that mate of yours is a free will moral agent who has the right to receive or to reject the gospel message. Do you understand that? See, and since they have that right to choose whether or not they want to receive Jesus or they want to accept the gospel message, God will never override their will. So you've got to go into this realizing that you don't have a guarantee that that person will be saved. You have to understand that. And that's why he says, how do you know? Well, let me add this to it. If you knew... If we knew, all we'd have to do is apply that same knowing to the world and tomorrow we'd have the whole world saved. We'd go right into the millennial reign of Christ. Tribulation to the millennial reign of Christ, right? But we don't have that. I can just see some light bulbs going on. Oh, I thought if I did all these things, it was a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. Well, the next question is, well, then why should I do it? Well, there are many reasons why you should do it. Because, you see, although you may not have the guarantee that your mate is going to be saved, you do protect yourself and make it much easier for your mate to be saved. And that is the area where your faith is working and your faith is being effective. And if your faith is working in that area in protecting you and your family, keeping yourself under the blessing instead of under the curse and also making it much easier for your mate to be saved, then you can activate the power of God. You can hold back the forces of darkness and allow God to move upon him or her in such a way that their decision to accept or reject is going to be based upon their free will, not influenced by demonic powers. That's what you're doing. See many many women in particular get discouraged because I don't see results. Not realizing that the results that you're seeing is in everyday life that you are protecting your family, your household and also you're making it easier for that person to be freed up in his will to to see the light of of, of the gospel message. And it's important you understand that before you before you you know step out into this. Well, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. And verse 1. And if you find yourself in in this position, and you've been in this position, let's say, for some time, and you've been really puzzled about what you should be doing in, in bringing restoration to your family or making it easier for your, your mate to, to receive Jesus or to be saved. I just want you to note something here. Just what we start talking about from the very beginning. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I want you to write this down. Here's where you start right here. First and foremost, number one, you start with humility in your own life because you are the believing party and you are the one who is cooperating with God. You write that that number number one, that's me. I've got to humble myself before God. And of course, that's an act of your will. And in doing so, you're going to prepare yourself spiritually and emotionally to take the proper course of action. And step number one in, in, in getting God to do anything for you in life is to humble yourself before God. Why? Because He resists the proud, but He gives grace, which is operational power, to the person who humbles himself. Who walks in humility? And then he says, pray. Number two is, is prayer. And just note this in prayer. You have the keys to unlock heaven. And you have the keys to lock up Satan and his powers. Humble yourself and pray. These will be the most effective tools you have is to humble yourself I'll explain these a little bit later and pray thirdly seek you can't be walking passive through life and just going on on a daily basis and just thinking that something's going to happen you've got to be seeking the face of God his presence his direction you've got to seek from him that which you need to make it easier for that person to receive Jesus You've got to seek that. That just won't happen because you want it to happen. You've got to seek it. And, of course, that's included in your prayer, in your time of prayer and waiting upon the Lord. And then notice the fourth thing he says, turn. Turn from doing things your way. Turn from doing your... Th-. In other words, take another course of action. I mean, if you've been trying to do something for many years and you're not getting any results, I think it's, it's time that we realize that something isn't working, wouldn't you say? And so he says to turn, stop doing things your way and turn around and start doing things my way. Take another course of action. Turn, for, And they're really, they're wicked ways. Let's face it, our ways, man's ways are wicked ways in the sight of God. We not understand that fully, but in the sight of God, my ways, he says, are not your ways and your ways are not my ways. My ways are far higher than yours as the heavens are above the earth. That's what he said. He's a whole lot bigger and smarter than we are. You know, And so many say, well, I've tried it, my goodness, trying things God's ways. God's ways are so superior to our ways. We can't try them. We've got to just get out there and start doing what he said to do, even though it might hurt. But here's where where we begin. We begin by humility. We begin begin through prayer, through seeking God's face, because God knows the secrets of that person's heart. And he can reveal those secrets to you. He can enable you to... To help that person come to Jesus by revealing certain things to you as to what you should be doing. You are there every day with that person. And you're like, let's put it this way. In evangelizing the world, you've got to preach the word. Go into all the world and preach the what? The gospel to every creature. And you'll find out in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 that if you're talking about evangelizing, especially here he's talking about evangelizing an unsaved husband, It is not through preaching of the Word. Did you notice He said don't preach the Word? He doesn't want you to preach the Word. What does He want you to do? He doesn't want you to preach the Word. He wants you to live the Word. And there's the difference. It's easy to preach the Word to people that are out there because you don't live with those people every day. They're not in your home. You don't live among them. But the person who is unsaved is right by your side. And if you hadn't noticed, he or she knows and recognizes every single fault every flaw you have in your Christian experience. Did you know that? Every single mistake you make, you're made well aware of. And if you're a Christian, you shouldn't do this. And if you're a Christian, why did you do that? And why did you get upset with me? And they try your patience right to the very end. They are living. That's why he said, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You're living right there in the same household. And it's almost like you don't have any space for growth or development. You can't even make a mistake in your Christian experience. Notice the people that you work with, when they find out, you know, you made a mistake, my goodness, they're the first one to tell you what a Christian should, should do or how a Christian should live because they're watching you and every step that you take and every mistake that you make in your life. So when it comes to winning an unsaved husband, or is that in particular, that's what it is, winning an unsaved husband to the Lord, the Bible says it's not through the preaching or the teaching of the Word that this will be accomplished. It will be the living word, you living the word and changing your personal pattern of behavior. And that is where humility comes in. That's why step number one is humility. Look at First Peter chapter 3 there in verse 1. This represents, remember I said the general and the specific. Well, this is the general revealed will of God for a woman who has an unsaved husband who wants that, let's put it this way, it's whether it's unsaved or whether this person is not obedient to the Word. It doesn't actually say unsaved, but it does say that that person's not obedient to the Word. I guess he could be not obedient to the Word in salvation, but also he can be not obedient unto the Word even as being a believer. But what is a woman to do? What is a wife to do if her husband, even though he's saved, isn't obedient? I believe the same principle applies here. And what is a wife to do if her husband is, is, is not saved at all? Of course, he's not going to be obedient to the Word of God. Well, you've already had initial instruction. You don't leave that person if they're willing to dwell with you in peace. If they're not willing to dwell with you in peace, and of course, you're going to know that. But if they are, he says, this is what I want you to submit yourself to. And he begins right here, revealing the general revealed will of God for a wife who has a, a, a husband, either who is not saved or who is not obedient to living by the Word of God. And it does not say preach. It does say let it be your manner of living or let it be your lifestyle that's going to win this person to Christ or cause that person to be obedient to the Word of God. Now, let's notice here in verse 1, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands, Subordinate, subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them, And adapt yourselves to them, so that even if any do not obey the word of God, they may be won over, not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. Now, notice this. Once again, it's not by evangelization through the word, but it's by living the word or the lifestyle of the wife that's going to win that person over. And I'll be honest with you, you know, many think, well, hey, let's just get him to church. Let's get him to this meeting. Let's get him to that meeting. Let's get him to the full gospel. Let's... That is not primary as far as God is concerned. We say to some things that we gave you before last week, and one of them was that, that you as the individual, you've got to be aware of the fact that it's your responsibility to cooperate with God. God needs your cooperation in order to be effective in ministering to that person. And if you're not willing to cooperate with Him as an individual yourself, then God's going to be limited in His ability to reach that person's heart. Obviously, the person's not listening. You know, if the person was listening, then, of course, God can deal with that person. But if the person is not listening, if they refuse to listen to what God is saying, then the next best thing is to the mate, to the. in this case, it's through the wife's, through her life, through the wife's life, God then can be seen through her actions and emotions God is demonstrated in love and demonstrates His love to that person and draws that person to Himself by the lifestyle, by the personal pattern of behavior of the wife. And as she lives the Word and as the Word is living in her, that then God is able to, 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 to draw him or to, to pull him and to sway him to come in unto salvation. God moves in by His power, which is activated through that holy lifestyle of that person. Now, this is, once again, humbling yourself, to the general revealed will of God. Now, in some cases, I know that there are those who just are not willing to do this or submissive enough to do this. They think that, well, it's okay if I just take him somewhere where he will hear the word priest or somebody preach the word of God. And we thank God. Send laborers across his path to to get him, you know, to hear the word of God. And that's great. And that's, once again, evangelization. See, that's out there. But in the home, it's the lifestyle of the wife that's going to win that person over to Jesus. And that should be first and foremost. As a matter of fact, as let's read through this and then we'll, we'll give you some steps here. Verse 2. When they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves, together with your reverence for your husband, that is, you are to feel for him all that reverence includes, to respect, defer to, revere him. Revere means to honor, to esteem, to appreciate, prize, and in the human sense, adore him. And adore means to admire, to praise, to be devoted to, to deeply love and enjoy your husband. Let not yours be merely external adorning with elaborate interweaving and knotting of the hair, the wearing of jewelry or changes of clothes, but let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible and unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is not anxious or wrought up, but is very precious in the sight of God." For it was thus that the pious women of old who hoped in God were accustomed to beautify themselves and were submissive to their husbands, adapting themselves to them as themselves secondary and dependent upon them. It was thus that Sarah obeyed Abraham, following his guidance and acknowledging his leadership over her by calling him Lord, Master, Leader, and Authority. And you are now her true daughters if you do right and let nothing terrify you, not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. Now, write these things down. Number one, the first thing he says to do is as far as your lifestyle is concerned, this is the wife's personal pattern of behavior to follow. If your husband is unsaved and or not obedient to the Word of God, this is what you're to, to be doing in your life as a wife. Number one, submit to and obey your husband. As it says here, be submissive and be obedient. Now, I know that that's been carried too far in some circles, but number two is going to change all that right here. Number two is be obedient to the Word of God. Notice that number one says be obedient to your husband, but number two, Peter's talking about, says be obedient to the Word of God. So you're being submissive first, you know, to, to your husband, but also you're being submissive to the Word of God. So that if you're being submissive to the Word of God and obedient to the Word of God, if your husband wants you to do something that's out of line with the Word of God then you see Jesus is the Lord of your life and you're not to submit to that. Is that understood? So many have missed it in this area that they've allowed themselves to be distorted, even spiritually because of this relationship of being submissive to somebody who wants them to do ungodly things. And that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. So first of all, be obedient to your husband, be submissive to your husband. And remember, Paul also said, remember he's willing to dwell with you. That means he really loves you. And he may not be a Christian, but he still loves you. He cares about you. He's still being a husband to you. You know, sometimes I think that this is, this is true. Please forgive me for saying it this way, but I've got to be blunt and bold. Some people in the world have more sense than Christians. I mean, some Christian wives think that they've got to allow their husbands to practically kill them or put them in a mental institution. Because the word, you know, locks them into such a position that they can't be free from that. Well, may I ask you a question? What is worse? leaving and separating or divorcing or being killed or being insane, wasting a human mind and being cast into a mental institution somewhere. In the world, I mean, they realize or recognize if a man loves his wife, he's not going to beat her. Is he going to beat her? I mean, they have have protection, you know, places of protection for women whose husbands beat them and practically kill them. I've been in situations, I've seen situations like that. They have protection out there in, in the world for relationships like this. And I'll be honest with you, you know what they say to the woman, to the wife, if you go back, something's wrong with you. I told that to one lady one time, I thought the world was going to come to an end. But show me in the Scriptures where it says, a wife has got to submit herself to abuse, some sexual harassment. I mean it, where where husbands have actually made their wives commit adultery for their pleasure. And if you think I'm making these things up, think again. And the wife submitted to that, thinking she had to submit to her husband and committing adultery. But in the church world, seemingly through spiritual ignorance, people think that God's Word binds us to a situation that we cannot get away from, even if it means the taking of our life. And the Bible does not teach that. The Bible clearly says, if he's willing to dwell with you in peace and a state of harmony, then don't leave him. And like I said, you can be in the world and not even be a Christian and live in peace and harmony. I mean, how many of you know people who are, who are married, who are not Christians, but yet they're not killing each other? Anybody know anyone like that out there? You know, my wife and I didn't kill each other before. We got saved. We loved each other. Cared for each other. I was faithful to her made that dedication as a non-Christian. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes, Didn't Jesus say sometimes the children of the world have more sense than those who are in the kingdom of God? I don't know why we got off on all that. Maybe some of you needed to hear that. But, but this, this, this idea of submission where, where a wife has got to submit to abuse, whether it be spiritually, emotionally, or physically, God did not call a human being to be abused. You might as well say amen or say on me. Three, thirdly, have a chaste lifestyle. Chaste means to be pure in thought, pure in word, pure in deed. And this is all found right here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, next, don't let your outward adorning be your chief aim. Now, we know that you want to look beautiful for your mate for your husband but don't let your outward adorning be your chief aim because the next one says 5 let your inner man be adorned more than the outward man these are certain these are certain principles that he's speaking about right here this is the instruction of the word how many know god watches over his word to make it good and if god watches over his word to make it good and you are acting on the word as a submissive wife then god is obligated to make his word good in your life. And you might say, well, then if I don't have a guarantee that he's going to be saved, what is he obligated to make good? I'm glad you asked. He is obligated to protect you. He is obligated to move by his spirit. He is obligated to draw and influence your mate. He is obligated to keep that protective covering over to sanctify your children. He is obligated to still allow the blessings that come upon you and your household He's obligated to stand against the enemy. He's obligated to hold back the forces of darkness. He's obligated to do everything He said He would do for anyone else. Because you are being submissive to the Word of God. So your submissiveness to the Word of God obligates Him. He is responsible to watch over His Word on your behalf and make it good. So, you see, all is not lost if you're in that situation. You say, well, still, what about His salvation? Still, He's obligated to continue working through you through the highway of holiness that you make to to hold back the darkness, the influence of evil, and to draw His Spirit to get Him to a place where His free will is going to have to say no to Jesus. Now, let me point this out. If that happens and His free will says no to Jesus, Does that mean you were ineffective? It does not mean you were ineffective. As a matter of fact, your prayers were answered. As a matter of fact, your prayers were working. As a matter of fact, your faith was working, and it's still working, and that was accomplished. Do you see that? And even though that person may never come to Jesus, he can make your life, your home life, what it should be. If that person loves you. You say, well, what about their salvation? I mean, that's first and foremost, but listen, can you save the world? There are those who are going to say no to Jesus. Did you know that? But you've made it much easier for that person. Do you see that? You've made it much easier for that person to see Jesus, to know the love of the Father, and to be influenced by that power and presence right there in your home. You've done your part. And that person's blood is not upon you. Now, that's just true Bible teaching. That's just the way it is, beloved. Because he that believeth shall be saved, but he that believeth not. So you make it easier for that person to get saved. That's what you're doing. But while doing that, you are protecting your own life and the lives of your children because you're being obedient to the Word of God. Next says, you'll see it here in the King James, says, trust in God. And that's a, a principle in itself. No trust in yourself, but trust in God. Once you set this in motion, you've got to trust in God. Believe that He's working in it. And like I said, even though there may not be a response from that person, you've got to trust that God is working in your situation. The Bible says you you trust in Him and the desires of your heart are going to come to pass. Once you've committed your way unto the Lord, you trust in Him. You have faith and confidence that He is doing what you've asked Him to do, even though it may not appear so from the outward. He is obligated to protect you and your children and also obligated... to to, to sanctify even that unsaved person in in your household. You know, there's a certain amount of protection for people just by being a part of a family of God, just like this right here. And if you are doing what God's Word says in your household, then He's going to provide even a type of protection for that person that's in your household who's not saved. Because of you, the believer. I think we've got to start realizing something, beloved. Greater is He who's in us than he that is in the world. And we don't have to take second place or a back seat to the works of Satan. And I mean, if it need be if God is so obligated to us because we're acting in harmony with His Word that He's got to send an angel down to sober up that mind, then He'll do it. This is what God wants. He wants us totally dependent upon Him and His Word, which is true Bible submission, so that He can be allowed. Do you see that? He needs our cooperation. He must be activated through prayer. In particular, your prayers. So he wants us to cooperate with him in such a way so that he can send angels down, and if need be, they'll appear to those people. Or whatever means he chooses. Well, we're gonna, let's finish this so we don't miss out. The next thing it says to do well. To do well. Remember when Cain was before the Lord and, and he didn't bring the proper sacrifice? And he got sad and he, he was discouraged and, and, and dismayed and, and all that. But Abel brought a proper sacrifice and it was accepted. And the Lord said to him, why is your countenance fallen? What are you so sad about? If you do well, if you do well, if you do well, you'll be accepted. And he's speaking that to, just, he says, Sarah did well. Sarah did well. And even though Abraham and I'll show you I show you, I'm talking he's talking about not being husbands who are not being obedient to the word of God. Abraham at that point was not being obedient to the word of God. Did you know that? He wasn't being obedient to the word of God. Doing some things that was really outside of, uh, of God's will and his word. But Sarah, she was submissive, but she also did well. And the point got across to Abraham and he began he began to see it. It was because of her holy lifestyle. It was because of her decision to live according to God's plan, not only in submission, but also to bring forth character that he could see God in. And consequently, he became obedient to what God's Word said to do. And here's where the Bible says that all of us, all, all of you who are wives out there, you are daughters of, of even, even Sarah. And so you're to put on the same kind of behavior that she did. And finally it says, and please make note of this, please make note of this, and I mean... Highlighted, underscored. Get in your inner consciousness, deep within your spirit. Don't be guilty of infidelities. Don't ever be found guilty of infidelities. That doesn't just mean sexually. That means being unfaithful to moral obligations, whether it's sexual, emotional, or physical. As a wife, you have certain duties and responsibilities according to God's plan. Don't be guilty of infidelities. Many women or many wives, they want their husbands to come to Jesus. They want, you know, they want them to come to church and everything. But yet they'll go home and they'll talk about people in the church. They'll go home and write to their husbands and start gossiping about people in the church. That's being guilty of infidelity. You have moral obligations to the body of Christ and to the Lord Jesus Christ, to your father. And when you start taking a lot of garbage home and start telling your husband about how you don't like this person, how you don't like that person, and how, you, how you're upset with this about the church and that, what kind of impression is that leaving upon his life? Have, have how many of you have been around and you found out that no one in the flesh is perfect? How many have been around and found out that any church you go to anywhere is made up of people who are still in the flesh? That means every church is imperfect. According to our own human thinking. So that means no matter where you go, Upon this earth, doesn't matter how far you can cover the whole world, you can go to Dr. Cho's church over there in Korea, Seoul, Korea somewhere, and you're going to find some imperfections there, some things that don't set right with you. Why? Because people are imperfect. So make a decision in your life that no matter what imperfections exist at the church, I'm not going to be guilty of sowing discord. I'm not going to be guilty of displaying a wrong character to my mate in particular and exposing false and failures of people. I just make a decision not to do that. See, if you'll do that as a wife and only go home and share the good things, the Bible says we're to cover the multitude of sins. And not Expose. If you'll do that, beloved, then you'll begin to see that God's working on your side. You have responsibilities and duties in the house as a housewife. And those should be done properly according to the the Word of God. So the Word of God is not blasphemed. So you see, it's not the, the spoken Word that's going to win that person at home. It's going to be the living Word or you living the Word in your personality, in your character and your pattern of behavior before Him so that God could work through you or live in you and through you and bring forth the message of salvation as a living thing to that person's life. And once again, it has to be this way because you see, you're, you're yoked up with that person. You're living together. Now, don't, there's no time to get into this other part, but but if you find yourself in that situation, I gave you these last week. I'll just very briefly go through them again. We've got more along these lines. And I, I don't know how... We could talk about every one of these subjects for such a long period of time. It's going to take us forever to clean up the body of Christ because there's so much more. We've got youth out there getting involved in alcohol and drugs and still sexual immorality. We've got a lot of things to clean up in the body of Christ. We've got people... One of the, one of the worst things in the body of Christ that exists right now is what I just mentioned. James chapter 3 talks about the pollution of the tongue. Did you know that? And that is the, the thing that defiles the body of Christ more than anything else. That will defile the individual. It will also defile the individual... Emotions and body. It also devoured the entire body, the assembly of the congregation, because of not controlling the tongue. James chapter 3 talks about the wisdom of God, the wisdom of man, and about the use of the tongue to bring pollution to the body of Christ. And so that's another area we've got to get into. But right here I see that it's so important that, that you people who are out there in this particular situation where your husbands are not obedient to the Word of God or they are not saved. That this is God's Word. Put the Word first place. Know that He watches over the Word to perform it. And you're not going to evangelize Him by the preaching of the Word, but you're going to evangelize Him by the living of the Word in your own lifestyle. And God needs your absolute cooperation more than anything else in this endeavor. But you also realize that you don't have the ironclad guarantee that that person's going to be saved because he's still a free will moral agent and still has the right to reject Jesus Christ as an act of His own free will if He wants to. But still, if you'll do what God's Word said to do, you can hold back the forces of darkness. You can still keep an umbrella of protection over yourself and your children, your whole family, and even that unsaved mate of yours. And you can still allow the blessings of God to come upon you if He's just willing to live with you in in harmony and peace. You make it easier for that person to come to Jesus. Remember these things. The Father loves you and cares about you. and He realizes your your position and He knows that you're in a tough battle. So remember that. You remind yourself of that daily because He's on my side. My Father loves me and my Father cares about me. Secondly, know that Jesus is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. Know that. Once again, people, if you're not in this kind of a situation, you don't realize the devastation and the destruction and the tragedy that it brings to a person's life. You don't realize the imperfections in a person's heart because, see, they're hooked up with somebody who's who's pulling away from them when it comes to spiritual things. And so they want to believe God for the best about spiritual things, but they don't have any agreement in spirit. And so they're wanting to believe God for their children to be healed by the supernatural power of God, power of God, but the other person's drawn away from that, pulling away from that. And it's harder for them to come into a place of agreement. Well, there is no agreement there. It's harder for that person to realize healing for that child. Not because they don't have the faith, but because of the interference and because of the doubt that is instilled within their minds because of the, the unbelieving party. And you can carry that right onto your finances where one wants to tithe, the other one doesn't want to tithe. And you don't know the battle that they're in. They don't want to dishonor God, but they're in a position that they can't say, I want to pay tithes because he says, that's my money I made. I'm not going to do it. And so she's in a position that, what can she do? do? Do you see these points? Know that the father knows your position. He knows the battle is tough. But yet He loves you, He cares about you, and just do what His Word said to do about your situation. Remember this, God didn't put you in that situation. You got there by ignorance because you didn't know the Word. You know, I didn't know the Word when I got married. My wife and I were both in ignorance when we got married. We didn't know. The preacher didn't tell us one thing about being born again or washed in the blood of the Lamb or anything like that. We had no instruction about marriage whatsoever. I'll be honest with you, our marriage was like this. The instructional time that we had in preparation of marriage was two minutes and the actual marriage ceremony was probably four minutes. And that was it. I mean that. And if I had my way, my desire is i like to counsel at least six months in advance before before marrying people and let them know everything I possibly can about the marriage relationship and let them know what they're getting into when they make their vows of marriage. Because they are entering into a blood covenant relationship that they are responsible to keep true all the days of their lives. And if you don't know what you're getting into, don't sign the paper. Don't make the vow. Because you're vowing away your life whether you realize it or not. Very quickly, we got to go again. You are not the only person facing these circumstances. You realize that? That'll keep you from self-pity. Number four, God is greater in you than the problem that you're facing. You've got to constantly remind yourself of these things every day. Number five, God needs your absolute cooperation. Satan is forcing and imposing his will upon that person, your mate. And He pushes and shoves to get them to do what is wrong. God is gentle and His powers must be activated through prayer. Your prayer is going to activate the power of God. Number six. You have the keys to lock up the works and the will of Satan. You have the keys to unlock the power of heaven. And He says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. So what you lock up will be locked up. What you unlock will be unlocked. Remember, that is in your hands. You can do that as a believing partner. As a believing party. You can do that and it will be effective in your life. Also... Number seven, faith and patience inherits the promise. If you find yourself being weary in well-doing and fainting in your mind, the Bible says keep looking constantly unto Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter of your faith. Look what he withstood, striving on the blood against sin, and you're not at that point that you've got to strive on... Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life,